is up, everybody? You are watching NASA in Silicon Valley live for Thursday, September 27th, uh, 2018. I am one of your hosts, Matthew Buffington, and today we have a special guest host. He is a YouTuber, a Twitch streamer, a professional Scotsman, and all-around cool guy, <laughs> Mr. Scott Manley. Hello! <laughs> How's it going, Scott? It's going great. Glad you, to be here. Are you hyped to do the... I am as hyped as you can get to be playing with rockets, yes. Yes. <laughs> so for folks, if you don't remember, um, folks who are watching the show, about, I think it was what, in January, we did a NASA Silicon Valley live show. We did our first space video game show. And so as we were sitting there playing the game, uh, uh, Scott was actually in the chat. And so as we're sitting there going back and forth on Lunar Lander, it was another one. What was the other game that you brought? It was not Lunar uh, Lander. Space War. Space, Space War. He was saying like, hey, you gotta lead your shots. You gotta jump on in, so. That was you? That was, among other things, Everyone's yes. a critic. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, so as we were going through, we went back and forth on Twitter a little bit, and I was like, well, hey, let's bring Scott on over to help come and help host this show. So welcome, welcome. Thank you. Um, so our returning Jeopardy champions, <laughs> we have uh, Mr. Chad Frost uh, and Mary Beth Wilhelm. How are you guys doing? Uh, great, great. Hanging in. Uh, so so what, what, anything new happening since the last time you were here playing video games with everybody? What's up? I know Mary Beth, oh, you just did a presentation, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, we're working on developing some new life detection technologies, and I did some field work in Iceland, and lots of lab work, so it's been a busy summer. I'm ready for a vacation. I think you even you just came from the presentation, and Chad, you were yeah, one of Chad the judges. Yeah, Chad was our evaluator, so. How'd you do? Oh, they were awesome, man. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're actually doing their big presentation about a month, so this was our opportunity to give them a little feedback and uh, yeah, fantastic correct. ideas coming out from all directions. It was super cool. Awesome. Well, so for this episode, folks, if you can't tell, this is a special Let's Play Video Games episode. But before I, let me jump into the rigmarole, because if you didn't know, this is NASA in Silicon Valley Live, a conversational show out of NASA's Ames Research Center, where we talk to researchers, scientists, engineers, and all around cool people about all the nerdy NASA news you need to know about. So if you like that, uh, just come to, we are live on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, uh, Twitch. Um, if you want to participate live in the chat, just like that lower third says, you need to go to twitch.tv slash NASA. And our friend Kayvon back behind the scenes is actually digging through those questions so I don't have to see the constant deluge of stuff in the chat. But if you can't catch us live, that is no big deal. Uh, you can, we will have video on demand on Twitch and YouTube immediately once the show is over. And the next week it'll be up and replaying or rebroadcasting over on NASA TV and also so we'll have it on an audio version for podcast services throughout the solar system and beyond. So, all right, so before we start moving along, folks are in the chat, start sending in those questions now. Um, there's different parts throughout the show. We're just gonna keep jumping in and grabbing questions from everybody. Um, but, you know, since we are doing video games, I have to make my our, our, our legal friends a little bit happy. So we're gonna jump into a fun disclaimer. Uh, we have a, a fun disclaimer over, like, underlay, or I guess lower third. So this is just to remind everybody as we're playing these games that NASA does not promote. <laughs> there we go. There it is. Uh, NASA does not promote or endorse, or will it provide the appearance of that NASA promotes or endorses a commercial product, service, or activity. Individuals that playing specific games does not constitute an endorsement of such games by NASA or the U.S. federal government. So... Um, 
yeah, then like with that, we're going to go jump on into some of our first games. But you know what? We did this cool segment transition, so we might as well just play that on over that we're doing for every episode. So. Of course, it's time for a Let's Play. Now, this can include controllers, 12-sided dice, or a Pop-O-Matic bubble. But for this episode, we are playing video games. So, Scott, what do you have for us first? Well, I came up with a huge list of NASA-related games. I saw and it. <laughs> obviously, we're going to play a few of these. But the first one that I wanted was Elite Dangerous. Nice. Which uh, is basically a space sim set a thousand years in the future. And not only can you fly a spaceship, but the game includes renderings of the entire galaxy. So you can go anywhere in the galaxy, including a few places that NASA has actually sent spacecraft. Nice. So yeah, this is a elite. Well, I think we can't play it live because we yes, need an internet connection, but we do have a highlight reel of some of my exactly. favorite things. So what, what are we looking at and what are we seeing here? We are flying towards Charon and Pluto which are the two most distant explored bodies in the solar system. And, and how fast are we going? Uh, it looks like <laughs> 1.5 times the speed of light. Very nice. You know, well, whatever. It's a thousand years in the future, we'll take some liberties. Yeah, we're having to slow down a bit so that we don't fly past them too fast. And so, so, so let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, because obviously, I mean, being here over at Ames, we're familiar with the New Horizons spacecraft as it, it went through, I mean, it, did the whole flyby of Pluto, got some really cool photos, and now it's heading up to another body, I'm trying yep. to remember. MU-49, I believe, mm -hmm. also called Ultima Thule. Okay. And that'll be the last day of the year when it's doing that, pretty much. So it's you can see we're coming down, there's Charon and Pluto next to each other. So the developers of this game try to incorporate as much reality as possible. So they took textures from the real Pluto and Charon and mapped them onto this. You can't land on Pluto, but we will be able to get closer to Charon. I'm just looking around in the cockpit here. Yeah. It's a, of course, like you can't talk about Pluto without the first thing in chat being like, is Pluto a planet? That's Tress. It's a dwarf planet. It's not a planet, it's just a dwarf planet. <laughs> so it's still a planet. It's still a planet. It's the only binary planet. It's a pretty cool planet, if you ask me. Yeah, and, and, and Charon's a really cool moon. Like one of the big discoveries from New Horizons was that on the North Pole, there's a deposit of these compounds called tholins. It's like this kind of yeah. reddish material. And what that is, is a mixture of organics. And, and Pluto doesn't, I don't think Pluto has those deposits, but Sharon does, which is pretty neat. Now, is this Pluto or is this Sharon? This is Charon because- uh, Is that those Oh yeah, yeah, see, there's the reddish material. Yeah, the and we're, I wanted to fly through some of these canyons that we saw, Cosmata. There's seven of them that have been named on Charon. They're all named after fictional spacecraft. Uh, I can't remember which one's which now, but I think only three have been approved by the IAU because they're from mythology. But we've got things like TARDIS, Cosmata, and Nostromo, no way. Serenity. Uh, I don't know which one this is I'm flying through, but I am, you know, trying to do my best Beggar's Canyon impersonation here. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm really digging the cockpit here. This is... Uh... It's, it's so much better in VR when you can look around and see everything. This is uh, one of the best things to have in VR, this. And I was going to say, so for, for Chad, as our as our director of engineering, or acting director of engineering here at Ames, it's like, what would you give for a cockpit like this? Oh, a lot, <laughs> yeah. This, this is, um, it's easy to forget that it's supposedly a thousand years in the future, right? Because a lot of the uh, concepts and ideas that we've been working on sort of play into that same general look and feel, uh, and yet, 
you know, if you do it right, maybe that's what they'll use a thousand thousand years hence. But I, I love the, you know, it's got a little map of the solar system down there. It tells you where yep. you are and how to navigate. There's some uh, terrain shows up in there. Uh, th this is the first time I've ever seen this particular game. It's uh, yeah. just, it's kind of interesting well, to find your way around in there visually and see what's well, going on. Uh, in the game, there's something that you might remember from the past year. We're actually coming up to an ancient space probe. The ancient uh, space Voyager. probe. Yes. <laughs> and if you, I don't know if you can hear the audio. I think Eric's going to pump up the audio for the audience so that they can hear that. But as we start getting closer. Oh, yeah, listen to that. As you may. Well, because right now, where is Voyager right now? Because this isn't where Voyager is right now, right now. This is where Voyager will be in thousand years in the future, right? Yeah, this is like, I don't know how far out it is. Like, it's right, it's left the solar system, technically. It's crossed the heliopause into interstellar space. It's the only man-made object ever to do so. Yeah, but uh, I brought along a, an interesting prop. I don't know if we can. I know show we can this. do the picture awesome. in pictures, so, so we, we can have get some of our prop uh, stuff. Over a reprint here. or repressing of the Voyager Golden Records. This was done last year, and in the inside they have uh, all the they have all the music and they really? have the, the sounds, the greetings from the various parts of the world. And my favorite part, being a DJ, is a slip <laughs> mat showing the trajectory that Voyager took on the way. And the two okay. Voyagers took. So yes, that's really. Cool. And of course, that's it, and it had sweet. to like did it had to do like gravity assists, whipping it, past different it planets. Did th yeah, three uh, gravity assists. Well, Grand Voyager two did. But we should talk about like what it was. It was a record that was put together to represent all of the sounds of the Earth. And the very first um, part of the record is recordings of I think like over fifty languages um, greetings, and then it goes into like the you know the best the best music from all over the globe was compiled and, and put onto this record and affixed onto the front of the spacecraft. And um, in about, um, let's see, tens to hundreds of thousands of years, this uh, the voyagers will pass by nearby stars. So the idea is someday maybe somebody will find it and, and be able to listen to the sounds of Earth. Well, as, as the engineer, I always was thrilled that right on the surface of the record, it tells whoever might find the record Basically, oh, really? what a record is and how to get how to the information back off of it, right? <laughs> so it says, look, there's there's sound waves on here, and this is what they look like, and here's here's what you need to do to play the thing back, um, you know, plus other basic information content. But you know, starting with, hey, here's what this artifact is and what you might do with it to, to get at the information contained. Get some nice. And so before we here. jump over to the next one, somebody named Silent Searchlight said at NASA, have either of the Voyager probes traveled beyond the outermost radius of the Oort cloud yet? Um, I Oort. No, the Oort cloud goes so, way no. further out. It goes yeah. out to 100,000 AU or beyond. So there you go, Silent Searchlight. <laughs> I know Silent Searchlight. Yeah. Yes. So they're, they're <laughs> on their way, but it'll take oh gosh, a long time for them to get out that far. And so, okay, so what are we looking at coming up over here? Uh, so we are, uh, yeah, we're just continuing on our journey. We flew past the sun, uh, past you know, Parker Solar Pole, but we're going to go to the moon. And uh, I know NASA's talking about a space station around the moon. Well, we have a space station around the moon a thousand years in the future in this fictional universe. It's a little bit bigger than what NASA has in mind. Okay. Uh, this is called Galileo, but... Uh, I just wanted to show the docking sequence in this game because it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Obviously no, 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 takes no. some inspiration from 2001 here. Um, yeah, this is the Galileo spacecraft. Use, oh, sorry, not spacecraft, space station. 
and you need to request docking permission from the space traffic control. It's a future where they don't have magical uh, artificial gravity, so for most people to get gravity, they have to rotate the station, which means you have to match the rotation. But very realistic. Yeah. It, it's realistic in that way, but well, this of course, there, and there's already um, like like billboards and space commercials. Space advertising. NASA space does not endorse any of those. No, NASA does not endorse or appear to promote or endorse any of the space advertising. Did I see something that said Titan City? Yeah, there's a Titan City. You can go there if you like. What is Titan City? Um, it's another space station in orbit around Titan. Oh, Titan! Um, cool. There's probably cities on the surface of Titan, but you can't land there right now because the game only lets you land on planets with no atmosphere, mm. which is a oh, shame yeah. because Titan is a fantastic place to visit with lots of atmosphere. <laughs> I think it's the only other place in the solar system where it actually rains. Really? Yeah, it rains liquid ethane and methane, though. <laughs> yeah, at least with a solid surface. I think there's possibility of rains in some of the gas giants, but yeah. My, my experience with Titan has been playing in Destiny 2. They have Titan and they have these like oceans. It basically went from a frozen planet to ocean worlds. And the only time that I'm sitting there, they have like somebody who you talk to and they have their helmet off and they're just like chatting with you. And I'm like, now, wait a minute. It would be pretty <laughs> cold. It wouldn't be pretty cold. Just, and even if just it's 70 like, Kelvin, it's fine. <laughs> it's like, even if it's like, okay, so the methane isn't frozen, but it's liquid oceans of methane, it's still going to be pretty cold outside. It's pretty cool. So anyway, yeah, I guess uh, next point after stopping to, you know, get some coffee, time to head out into the outer solar system. Uh, taking a look around as well, yeah, people love their greenhouses, there's other spaceships, obviously. I'm going to point out that um, while this game does let you shoot other people, and it's a big part of the game, during this sequence I decided to be totally a pacifist. <laughs> Don't even have guns in my spaceship. No, <laughs> nice, nice. And there are aliens who... Oh. Uh, well, well, looking through the chat, a lot of shout-outs to Scott. Hello! Uh, so, hello, everybody. And then there was another person who was, I think, uh, so Cap uh, Captain II was asking, what timeline is this? He said, what, about a thousand years it's in the future? It's about a thousand years in the future. And they, they go, has real-time advances in March with our own time. So it's, you know, September 27th in uh, whatever year it is. <laughs> And so, I don't know, like, Chad, as somebody who, as an engineer, like, talk a little bit about, like, what are some of those complications to actually build these things? I mean, we're way far off, but it's like, there's a lot of stuff we have to figure out before well, anything even comes close yeah, to Yeah, absolutely, right? And some, some of it we're starting to work on and figure out. One of the big questions is, if you want to build something really big in space, yeah. uh, just how do you do that? Well, the biggest thing we've ever built in space is the International Space Station. Uh, by and large, we built that by sending all the pieces up as modules and assembling yeah. them on orbit uh, with a lot of human labor. Right? It's mostly astronauts putting things together in space. And you could do it that way, but if you're talking a, a you know, a space station the size of this. It's going to be uh, a <laughs> There's a huge human labor problem, um, or alien labor, as the case may be. <laughs> uh, and so we've, we've really been putting a lot of effort into figuring out how do you do this robotically okay. um, so that you can have the robots go do it. You the send robots up, can deal with the cold wet. Send the up the raw material, let the robots put it all together. We'll show up and, and live and take, take advantage of that. Well, that's one of the cool things we've talked a lot about, like on the journey to Mar talk about going to Mars and talking about the moon. Mm -hmm. I was like, there's a lot of stuff about like humans living in deep space that we still have to figure out. And like, a cool thing about being at the moon is like, if something goes wrong, you know, 
you're not two years away. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you know, you can try to get back a little bit sooner. So yeah, yeah. if you're far, far, if you're far away, right, even as far as the moon, you have to take a lot of those things that we take for granted here on Earth. You have to take them with you, right? Uh, whether it's uh, raw material resources, whether it's consumables, um, you know whether it's water, oxygen, yeah. food, all of those things that we just sort of, you know, hey, I have my mug of water right here. Uh, if, if I'm out there in a space station, uh, it's not readily accessible as a natural resource. It's either stuff I took with me uh, or stuff I'm making out of materials I took with me. Yeah. It's kind of a closed system. Yeah. Uh, that really puts, puts a whole new load on the technology, on how we do it. And, we're having to figure those things out all the time, um, whether it's on the International Space Station or the, the new Lunar Gateway or you know anything we want to go do, you have to figure out how to do it with the materials you've got that you took with you. So going on in the in, in the background as I'm just sitting there going through, <laughs> we, we just buzzed we past. We flew through the Saturn system just like Cassini, but okay. uh, we spent a little less time there than Cassini. <laughs> yes. Well, I guess Cassini's still there. Or nah, just like in many pieces, burnt up, but like well, it's, at least it's atoms are still present intact. on Saturn, I'm sure. And Huygens is still intact, so you know. So you have another landing base over here? Yeah, because I wanted to get another spaceship with uh, a little rover that I can actually go and visit the surface. We flew past Enceladus, okay. or en Enceladus, Enceladus, uh, which is a moon of Titan. A moon of Saturn, sorry. Uh, yeah. What is the proper, we have, we were just talking about oh. it, of like, is it Enceladus, Enceladus, or I, how I've do I've heard it pronounced Enceladus, but I've heard it also pronounced the other way too. Just depends on how you feel, how you're feeling. I think it depends Enchiladas. on Enceladus. Enceladus. Nice. <laughs> We had the yeah. same conversation around like Sharon. Is it Sharon yeah. or Charon? Yeah. So okay, or I actually or... looked it up. The moon Sharon. Um, it was named in part after the discoverer's wife, whose name was Charlene. So, um, like, I guess uh, the community mm -hmm. pronounces it Sharon after Charlene, but it's officially named after um, a, you know a mythological figure. So, and, and the correct way to pronounce it in that case is Karen, but in a, in a scientific conference, you're not going to hear that pronunciation. Who was, the, I guess, that particular mythological figure was like the, because Pluto is named after um, the, uh, Lord, of the underworld. Lord of the Underworld, but, nice. but Karen like, was the ferryman that took people across the river. So it was like the river sticks. Yeah. Yes. He's not the Disney character? No. <laughs> no. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> well, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so Scott, tell us about like, I know, we're, we're now we're, heading we're over ready. to Europa, which... Um, we got to buzz by through Europa. Recently, they found ice geysers there using data from uh, Galileo and Voyager, right? Mm -hmm. They found that there's actually cryovulcanism. There's, Europa is obviously fascinating from an astrobiology yeah. standpoint because it's got this huge ocean, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's uh, just beneath the surface is there's well, a thick sheet of ice, a few kilometers, and then beneath it is is a lot of water. I know, I know that Mary Beth can literally talk all day yeah, about I astrobiology. Could, <laughs> I could talk for at least a few hours. <laughs> the whole presentation that you just did. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine an ocean world like this because like it's completely dark. So when we think of our Earth's oceans, like we imagine light streaming in and like beautiful green algae, but like if life exists on Europa, it's it's living off of chemical energy and complete darkness. So it's like a totally alien way to think about living. Miss Anno Vent says, you guys ought to go to the geysers on Europa. 
I think we got you one better, right? <laughs> we, we are we are at the geysers on Europa. Is it Europa or is it the Enceladus one? No, this is Europa. This is Europa. I went oh, to. Oh, so it, there you go. This is a relatively new discovery, I think. Yes, but it's based on old data. Yeah. Which is always fascinating to find new discoveries in old data. So yeah, I, uh, this is an ASP Explorer. Much better cockpit. You can see a lot more there. So we just spot, oh, pause for a beauty shot. Nice. Yes. Get the vista shot. That's right. That's Jupiter in the background Look there. Look at all those free samples. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Should you go pick them up? You have to click yeah, uh, no, actually, yeah, I'm going to get out in my rover and go for a drive here. <laughs> all right, so let's check this out. Yeah, I mean, the, the game has had, you know, Volcanic fumaroles, weird alien fungi, uh, alien archaeology. They're all things you can visit, but we're staying within the realms of reality at this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although these geysers are a little more powerful than the ones in real life, I suspect. Really? And so, in fact, when the recent discoveries of... I mean, the cool thing about these geysers, the idea is, like, they found, like... Was it like 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 the building blocks of life mm -hmm. in those? Or? Yeah, on Enceladus. On Enceladus, which also has a, a geyser, which is, which I think they're much larger. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Talk a little bit about what that means for like astrobiology for you know future NASA missions. What we're hoping to do. Yeah, and... I mean, like imagine like how much easier it is just to fly through a plume and take a sample rather than have to land and drive around and, <laughs> yes. and collect sample as we're doing in or, this Or drill this through case. many kilometers of ice. Yeah, I mean, like that's really hard to do on Earth, let alone on. Um, you know, something that's that far away from Earth. Um, but yeah, the, the samples themselves are really interesting because they've identified all of the raw ingredients needed for life in those plumes. So the hope is that, you know, we could send a more advanced type of instrument that could actually tell us if there is life yeah. contained within that sample. And I think that's going to be one of the most exciting missions, you know, in my lifetime, certainly, you know, trying to answer this question of, you know, is there microbial life anywhere else in the solar system? Remember, the, the material coming up out of those plumes is the material from down below that ice layer. And so we think if, if there's life to be found, it's down in that comparatively warm uh, environment. And rather than having to drill down through the ice to get to it, hey, it's conveniently coming right up <laughs> yeah. right up through in the form of, a, of these geysers and these vents. And so we, can, we, can, we don't even have to land on the surface to collect those samples. We can just fly through them uh, from above. And so, like, one of the things I get a kick out of this game, especially, is, like, the data that it uses is, like, it's using real data. It's real using places. real data. Yeah, this is... In uh, fact, I the know, shot that we just had yeah. that we can have we Bill throw on up. Yeah, Bill, if you want to jump on back a little bit to that big shot of all the stars, yeah, like, so this is real data taken yes. from... all of these stars are real stars. I mean, they start to fill in once they get too farther out, but uh, many of these, or some of these have been identified by NASA missions, such as WISE 8550714, right? That was the Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer. Um, so they've obviously measured the colors and parallaxes and put these planets in place, but they've tried to extend this out to the entire galaxy, and you can go... A long way out, you can travel to the core of the galaxy if you like and get to Sagittarius A star, the supermassive black hole in the middle. Uh, you see we've got Nebula, the California Nebula, wow. Barnard's Loop, Polaris obviously, pretty well-known star. So I'm really curious if any of the exoplanets that have been discovered by our Kepler mission have found their way into <laughs> the, the orbits around these stars. Funny you should say that, <laughs> because we are able to travel anywhere in the galaxy, and uh, I might just pay a visit to one of those Keplers. Is that so, where 
that's where we're going next. We've been we traveling did, we, around. We did not plan that. By the yeah. Way. <laughs> so we've been traveling around at the speed of light, but using hyperspace, we can travel even faster. Nice. It, uh, we can travel up to 2,000 times the speed of light, or we can cross 50 light years in a matter of seconds, because it's a game and you don't want people waiting <laughs> around forever. Yeah, that's not a fun time. So we're heading to Kepler-42, which was one of the Kepler uh, points. It was found, um, it was obviously in the field of view, and they found planets transiting. Several large hot Jupiters very close to this parent star. Yeah, I remember um, talking to one of the NASA Kepler project scientists. Um, she, the way she had described it is like you put your hand up into the air and what your hand covers is basically the field of view of what mm -hmm. Kepler was looking at. And all of the planets that it had confirmed, uh, the exoplanets had confirmed in just that little itty bitty space. Mm -hmm. And Tess is even doing so much more than that. Yeah, but Kepler kept it all pointing at the same place for months, weeks, years even. Tess is spending a little less time. So those are the three hot Jupiters. So those are based on the real, uh, the data that's been returned. This of course does cause problems for the game because yeah. the uh, the recent you know new data set, the Gaia mission, yes, they have changed many of the positions of the stars, the distances, and so the game is, hasn't decided to update its frozen <laughs> universe. But it did add, um, uh, it, it added Trappist, this Trappist system. Oh, nice. So, yeah. nice. But Which is the closest star. It's not, or, the, it's not, not the Proxima. Closest. Okay. Has a, but it was the most, it was only like, what, four light years away? It was away? pretty close by and has a lot, yeah. And a lot of exoplanets. Yes. Well, the, the exciting thing is now, from the results of Kepler and K2, it, amazingly, right, pretty much every star, on average, has at least one planet. And there's some stars that don't have any, and there's some stars that have a lot more. But on average, there's at least a planet for every star that's out there. And so you think about the billions and billions of stars, mm -hmm. that's billions and billions of planets. And even if it's a small fraction of them that is anything remotely like Earth, that's still a huge, huge number. It's just exciting. This is the part where Kayvon in the chat is going to put the hashtag more planets than stars. <laughs> <laughs> so That's so a pretty you, wild paradigm shift. I mean, like... Yeah. You know, growing up there were only eight, and now it's nine, I guess. RIP Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was actually okay. Let me give the shout out to Acid Rain 1876.9 at RIP Pluto. So, but that was back earlier in the chat. So, um, let me throw in another quick one that they had. Somebody had asked about some Dread Metis asked, uh, "Do you have any idea about the temperature of the plumes IRL?" Oh yeah, sure. Um, so. The water and the plumes originate at the play, at the interface between the rocky surface and the uh, the uh, ocean, and the temperatures at that point are, I think, like quite high, like 90 or 80 or 90 Celsius. Oh, wow. And then it's pretty interesting. So, like at that interface, there you have like these silica nanoparticles starting to form, and um, the water then starts to make its way up. And then as it exits, you know, obviously as it exits into space, it freezes. So like, I don't know exactly what the temperature is, but it's no longer in the liquid phase, it's in the ice phase. And so that creates a problem when you're trying to design a collector because you have to then take that sample and then remelt it in order to pull out any potential, you know, markers of life that you would be interested in analyzing. 
so we're going to eventually get to the point. This is almost like wrapping up. Elite dangerous. This is the end, more or less. Yeah. But there's our beautiful spacecraft as named at NASA Ames. You oh, might do we notice. get to buzz in the name? <laughs> Not sure if we zoom in on it. Oh, oh, nice. Oh, we may have reached the end of the video itself. You can sort of see it. It's, it's right. It does. Like yes, right NASA. There, NASA right Ames. On the side. So I do want, like, as we're getting ready to transition over to a new game that's on on the iPad that we have over here, I do want to give a shout out over to uh, to to Eric, our audio guy, who's sitting over in the audio booth. Now, he was pushing really hard to get No Man's Sky in on this one. Oh, uh, I we love have, that, but it's not really scientific. Uh, so, well, he was actually, he'd gone in and like had played a little bit of Elite Dangerous. So, Eric, I don't know, do you have any questions, any things about, you want to throw on over to Scott about Elite Dangerous? Because I know it's like, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty tough sim game. It's, like, it's kind of hard to figure that out. It's very hard in places, for sure, but I mean, a lot of it is carried by the fact that it's so beautiful sitting around in your spaceship and looking at planets. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. Yeah, it's, it was a lot of fun to play with and really cool to look at, but definitely a steep learning curve. Yeah, and I, I think as a sound guy, you probably really appreciate the audio <laughs> in that game. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. I want to try it out on the on the VR goggles now. It just looks yeah. like that would be a natural <laughs> fit. We were actually talking about that, about how cool it would be to actually have somebody with the VR headset and... And just actually today, I ran by somebody who over on their desk they had an HTC Vive, and I was this close to just pulling it in. But maybe that'll be for for, for the next Mars episode, folks. So yeah, let's like switch on over to the next thing that we have set up here yeah. through the so, magic of an HDMI cable to an iPad. Yes, uh, I mean I came up with this idea during the last show. You were showing all these console games. You were showing uh, PC games, but not everybody has PCs or consoles. Many people have phones, and there's a lot of actually really good simulation games for your know, rocket simulation, essentially Kerbal Space Program clones that will run on mobile devices. I'm running on an iPad because it's better, but I've run this on like an old 5S. So this is a space flight simulator, your base, or space simulator. You, I'm just trying to build a little rocket here. We're just dragging the parts together. And like, Mary Beth was launching stuff right before. Yeah, we were, that, like, that screwing was, around. Well, we so can well. have a go on that if you like. But, uh, uh, and what are your mission requirements? Uh, well, right now this is just in the sandbox. So I'm just uh, I'm going to try and put something up and into space here. Ooh, got to find a big rocket. I think this is going to be way too big. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this simulates the physics. This is free uh, in the basic mode, and then you can pay a little extra for an expansion. So it's actually really nice if you're interested in learning how rockets work. You don't have to pay extra for the fuel? You don't have to pay extra for the fuel. <laughs> but, you know, fuel is always the cheapest part of the rockets, yeah. right? Yeah. Compared to everything else. Oh, uh -oh. that wasn't quite right. Well, whatever. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, while you're setting that up, we have a couple like comments from the stream. One guy, Captain Quasar, asked for a 24-hour stream, please. So, <laughs> We'll, we'll see what we do. We normally aim for an hour, but we have some stuff in store for you, so we may go a little bit longer. I think it would get really boring when we sleep. Uh, you'd be yeah. surprised on what, you know, over on Twitch, people, you know, they'll watch it. Yeah. So, but here, let me throw this over to Chad, because he said, uh, one question, this is, comes from MakerBR, he said, what kind of engineer do you need to even be to consider getting a job at NASA? He says, I'm finishing a civil engineering, and I wonder if, uh, if I can. So amazingly, uh, we have civil engineers at NASA, right? Because, hey, we have all sorts of uh, uh, projects that require moving you know, everything from yeah. dirt, facility construction, um, 
you know, we're, we're just building out a, a whole new supercomputing pad right now. Uh, there's been a whole lot of refurbishment down at Kennedy Space Center to get ready for the new larger rockets. Um, so pretty much any engineering discipline, we have people doing that somewhere at NASA. So pretty broad. So another question comes from Evil Mr. Muffins. <laughs> that is an awesome name. That's great. Um, what degree should I get to work at NASA? There's a big old smiley face. So I guess, I, I mean, if I went on the, the, the science side, Mary Beth, what would you, if people who are asking you, what should I study to get a job at, at NASA, what would you say? Wow, yeah, there's a lot of options. I mean, I work with people who have degrees in physics, biology, chemistry, astronomy. Um, you know, I think the best course of action is just choose something you're like super passionate about because let me tell you it's a lot of school it's like 10 years of school after high school to get to this point of being a scientist at NASA you have to get your your bachelor's in something and then your PhD so if you don't really love what you're doing it's a long <laughs> haul well, and I found that it's like there's a there's a job for everybody. I mean, like for yeah, me, I'm, I'm I'm probably the one person at the table without a science degree. <laughs> I'm guessing, and so yes. um, so but like my, my communications and poli sci thing <laughs> works out pretty well. We still but love the, we still love you, man. I, I appreciate that. And uh, and on the future ones, we were assigning roles. I was sure to be put as the tourist. Um, <laughs> Actually, I made you the pilot. Really? Oh, nice. Which you've got I've a really good point. That right? It's not just on the engineering side. We employ all different shades and varieties of engineers, but across the board, right? NASA is a, a big, complicated organization that does lots of amazing stuff, and it takes a huge cast of supporting characters to make that all happen. So, hey, everybody from, you know, the, the public safety, mm -hmm. guy, you know, we've got NASA has cops, we have firefighters, we have yeah. lawyers, we have people doing procurement, uh, literally, Every profession you can think of, we, we have people that are doing that. I remember so. doing a podcast episode with somebody who had actually went through budgeting and procurement, but then eventually ended up doing a, a temporary assignment as a project manager and then ended mm -hmm. up doing more stuff and is on the technical side. Yep. But with like, you know, yeah, it's like a whole mix and you never know where you can end up. So. So, but so Scott, tell us what are we looking at? What so, have you been pulling together just, on the side pad over here? Yeah, I've just been flying a spacecraft into orbit while you guys were talking about all that. So we flew, <laughs> you know, we, we no built a spacecraft, deal. we flew it into orbit. We are now actually in orbit. Uh, so this was a simple two-stage rocket, and I built everything by dragging and dropping. And yeah, you fired the main engine to boost us up into a kind of suborbital trajectory, and then we circularized with this little engine. So we're now here, and honestly, we're just going to go back because this is what, what kind of altitude did you get there? Uh, well, this is a, a scaled-down Earth, so our height <laughs> is we're reach, okay. reaching up to 173 kilometers, and that is not really to scale. But it's nice to do to have scaled-down Earths because it means your orbits are faster. So I'm just going to actually go back now. We're going to land this, so we're going to reduce the time warp, and then we're going to perform a retrograde burn to slow our orbit down and bring the periapse or perigee inside the atmosphere. So Explain what is that? The, the perigee, perigee is the perigee. point in the orbit which is closest to the planet Earth. You have the perigee and the apogee. So I'm at apogee, or it says apoapsis, which is the general version. Perigee is over here, and that is the closest point, and you'll see there, periapsis. Uh, G implies that it's Earth. So you'll also get like peri-jove around Jupiter, which is Juno goes from its distant apogee to close peri-jove. Um, and with Parker Solar Probe, you're going to have perihelion when it's really close and getting very hot, and aphelion when it's a long way out. I'm just going to fire my engine, and the thrust is dropping my orbit down into the atmosphere, and we're then going to use that to descend and land. 
Oh, so, nice. So yeah, and then we're, I just wanted to show this. This is space. I think a space flight simulator. It's free, and you can you get it on Android and everything, Mac OS. So or not Mac iOS. So if you've got a phone, if you're just interested in flying rockets, this is a fantastic option for you. There are some other ones I want to look at. So we're now falling through the atmosphere, and as we fall through the atmosphere, the drag is going to slow our orbit down. You can see down here that our Apple apps mm -hmm. is decreasing because the atmosphere is slowing us down. We're losing energy, and so our orbit is getting closer and closer to the planet, and eventually we're going to slow down and we have to use the parachute. But we don't want to use the parachute just yet. Yeah, because it will tear off at this speed, yeah. right? <laughs> Burn off. As Burn case, off. Maybe. Yes, yep. you're so. gonna have it. Well, you, the funny thing is, I think the first time for me playing Kerbal, I was m messing around with it, just like trying to do a, a quick suborbital launch, but I got really high. And then as the as the rocket was going back in, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna try to land this thing. And I got the the what is the hatch or whatever it is, and I had it pointing straight down. Just, just steamrolling like we're like right to planet Earth to go and land, and I started noticing the Kerbal was having a very bad time, <laughs> as it was getting redder and redder and like beaming, like and I'm like, what is going on? Why is this not working? And I was like, I wasn't going that fast. I'm just falling. And then I remembered the conversation that I had with uh, with Jack Boyd, like on the podcast of the whole blunt face idea. Yes. And I flipped it around. Everything cooled off. And yeah, I'm actually having that exact problem. I'm going nose first. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, this doesn't model re-entry heating, or I would have burned off my parachute and killed my crew. Uh, but we we don't get to know the crew, so we can just treat them as faceless entities. Well, it's a simulation. It's right? a simulation. Yes, it's very hard and well, serious. Aside from the atmospheric heating, you're probably not stable going nose first. So. Ye uh, the cones are stable in both directions. On the um, Mercury, they had to have a little spoiler to flip it around if it came down the wrong way. I remember, yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say, like, so for Chad, while you're sitting around in school, I mean, oh, I cannot deploy I don't know, a these kind of simulations, is that anything? I mean, when, you, when people are doing engineering school, does anything like this well, available? Not when, I, yeah, or? not when I went to school, Matt. <laughs> you had to do on paper, right? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. For young 25-year-old yeah. Chad Frost. Yeah, well, we were, yeah, we were lucky to have paper. We had <laughs> stone slates and chalk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, so one of the, first, uh, one of the per first pieces of code I had to write for my engineering software class uh, was a, a three-body simulation of uh, orbital dynamics, right? So... Uh, Anyone could have, you know, gone out and mm -hmm. done a, a three-body simulation. That's it's not that hard, but boy, you sure learn a lot about orbital mechanics mm -hmm. when you have to write the code yourself, right? It wasn't a sophisticated simulation, but it, there's no better way to learn the basics than to actually have to code it up. And now there's all sorts of great simulations and tools. I, I think are also really great ways to sort of learn what's going on, you know. Um, Perigee, apogee. What do these terms mean? Well, there's you could uh -huh. just look at that, look at that little simulation, and it's right there, and it's very instantly intuitive in ways that just reading it out of a book might not be. Wow. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these stuff, even like terms like delta v, different. It's like I'd heard people talk about it, but it wasn't until actually playing some of the games, I'm like. Oh, that's what they're talking about. Start okay, that, that makes that more sense. Visceral, intuitive sense, right? Yeah. That engineering sense of what it really is. Nice. Yeah. So, what are we looking at? I switched over to another one here. Uh, this is Simple Rockets, which is very similar. It's you know, it's older. It has uh, soft body physics. So when you build really big rockets, they can, you know, you can have things break. 
But uh, I was actually going to hand this over to Mary and see she can want to you, to try landing to this. And, th and this is for folks, if you did not watch the, the previous episode of us doing Let's Play yes. Space Video Games, no. Mary Beth landed the Lunar Lander the first time without any practicing oh, she, yeah, whatsoever. She completely it tells now, you right? to activate your landing legs. Okay. Yeah, there you go. This is high pressure, man. That's okay. I'm a scientist, no, not an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> but with the game, the game really provides these very helpful hints, like you're falling too fast. Yeah, you've got uh, more ah! thrust, more thrust. No. Uh, oh, oh no! Oh, you saved it. Oh, wow, oh how God. did that happen? I don't know, but I did it. Yeah, yeah you, you're now going to turn off your engines. Okay, okay, you're getting okay, higher. Okay. You still have to land this thing. <laughs> I want to go back to space. What are you talking about? No, no, no. Where were you going? Just, there's more uh -huh. science to find. You're this pointed the wrong way. No, 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 no. Oh, oh, oh. You want me to the other way? I think that was abort mode. Turn off your engines. You're. There you go. No. Now you can point in that direction. Well, so you're 250 meters up, and there you go. Oh. Uh, you've pointed the wrong way, though. Uh, there. No, it's it's now catching up. There you go. Okay. Well, one of the questions from the chat. This was from No Sync. He was asking, "Are you guys going back to the moon?" And it's like, "Yes. Oh, 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 here we are." Oh. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. You've landed twice already. I know. I just I just love space so much. Yes. She just doesn't want it to end. I don't want to yeah. go home. Land it, land it, land it. Now, is this the moon or is this? This is another version of the moon, yeah. This would appear to be a rocky rocky planet. Yes, it has regolith. Nice. And there oh. you go. And <laughs> well <yes>. done. <laughs> All the winner friends. is you. I did it. You yes. have landed. This is not what happened while we were just nope. messing around <laughs> with this earlier. I think Mary Beth has like, secret magic powers of lunar landing <laughs> yeah. consistently every time. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> she is a part of the NASA Ames video game club. I am. <laughs> but it's, that's mainly like Mario Kart. So <laughs> I'm getting really good at it, though. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Does anyone want to try docking a spacecraft? I guess we're actually... We can't How far can further. that cord go? Oh, yeah. Gonna head on over to Chad. I get it. All yeah. right, we got this. All right, uh, All right we'll hit, uh, hit up another one before we start moving yes. along. So well, what, I what do I need to do here? You got to try and dock with these two spacecraft. So it's you know, you've got controls at the bottom there. Well, let's figure out what the controls do first. So it looks there. like uh, oh, that's there you go. You get so translate, rotate. There you go. So you can drag. Yep. Uh, this is very realistic because there's no actual. Attitude control. It's entirely <laughs> up to you. See now, if I'm going to go into a computer to yeah. go full Twitch streamer mode, then I'd have Chad explain <laughs> the model of Laddie while he's playing at the same time to see if he can <laughs> see if he can uh, you know do two things at once. Figuring out uh, just sort of how to control it seems to be the hardest part. So. Yeah. But um, I, well, I was going to say, going into one of the questions people were asking about going back to the moon, obviously we're playing around with like uh, like landing on the moon, uh, and we have some other things in the store like, that are moon-focused, but just recently, in, you know, not the last episode, but the previous episode of NASA Silicon Valley Live, we had the administrator Jim Bridenstine on and talked a lot about going to the moon. And, and more particularly talking about how it's not flags and footprints like last time, it's all about getting commercial partners together. <laughs> oh. Look at that. You, you bumped into, I the bumped into the satellite. Right, ask oh, yeah. you to you can yeah. try again. 
So for folks who may be listening uh, as the audio version of this podcast, this might be one. Maybe you're you're sitting in your car on the 101, sitting in traffic. This might be the episode for you to pause and like actually wait till you get home, oh, and so you can watch it, you know, on demand on Twitch or on YouTube because it yeah. might be a more visually. Like, I, I'm just wondering where the docking ports on this actually are. He might be. <laughs> Helps. I think they're on the side there. How's that? Yeah, they're between those solar panels. That's what you got to Oh, gotta they're cr- over on the side. Yeah. Oh, I, better, uh, I better stop oh. and back up. Is that realistic? <laughs> what yeah, engineer would actually, put docking ports there? The problem is I can't like fly over the solar arrays. I yes, to, this is two-dimensional. It appears like I have to go up. It's going to say. Yeah, your space bus has here. to slide around like that. And the other thing that's... Now, we did have one other game, but I, I'm having trouble starting it with the, right now, and I'm not sure. Maybe we can try it. Uh, towards the end, but well, we're hitting it about like what, what 15 minutes left. Oh, so well, we'll we hop on over to the next once we'll once go. we get Chad. Let's see oh. if we can do this. Oh, you man. can do it, Chad. Everybody believes in you. There we go. Just thread the needle here, <laughs> and then I'll just jump in. It's Another so question from the chat. This is from Dat One Fish. Is does studying in the field of aerospace engineering help in becoming an astronaut? Yes. Could, yes. I would say absolutely yes. <laughs> Well, it hasn't worked for me. Um, <laughs> as an aerospace engineer, I'm not yet an astronaut, so no guarantees. Well, but that was one I remember. <laughs> like, so Steve Smith, he was uh, he's our our local astronaut that we always uh, default to. He's from the Bay Area, and he had talked. You know, he was an engineer um, and locally, and then eventually he took an engineering job at NASA Johnson. And I think he had applied to the astronaut class like what four or five times until he finally got in. So I was gonna say, if you're applying to be an, ast- to an astronaut, be like, persistent. You have to be persistent because you never know. Oh, oh use the translate. Oh, it's a little bump. It's still good. It's still good. It's a little bump. Hey, come back. Hey. Oh, now I've got the set. Now I got the satellite moving around. Yeah. Mm. Now you get. Now you're Oops. in a Salute oh. Seven situation. You got right? this. Easy breezy. Uh. Uh, all, almost. All right. Well, yeah, you great, but It's docked. It, <laughs> it worked. Was, fabulous. It wasn't, wasn't pretty, but it was successful. Yes, so. and you now have to repair the solar panels. But you're an engineer, so you can figure that out. I'll take that one. So for folks who are just jumping in, what we're going to do is we're going to transition to the next um, to the next game, which basically means that Scott is going to unplug one HDMI cable and plug it into another PC. We have a little PC here. But for but for our on the chat, um, if you are joining us live, you are watching us on Twitch.tv/NASA. That is where you need to go in order to um, to join the chat. Um, our friend Kayvon is actually he's actually moderating on the he's the NASA behind uh, behind on the chat. So um, yeah, so go ahead, send in those questions. In fact, we may just jump in. Yeah, go to Twitch.tv/NASA. I'm gonna do a quick rapid fire as we get the next game all riled Shit. up. But um, also, in fact, even as we're doing this, I could do a shout out over to Bill and Dave. Over in the the Bill and Dave cam, so hey everybody, hey guys, so, hey Bill and Dave, so so Bill Dave, it's like, uh, do you guys have any questions for the group as we start getting things transitioned over about these games? Well, I no, not really, but I can come <laughs> up with one. Uh, what I was just wondering is, um, how do game designers have to balance the the fact of space exploration 
by nature is kind of boring because it takes so long and we can't go very fast versus uh, all the entertainment value of things like hyperspace, things like, you know, how, how do you think game designers come up with a good balance between making it fun and making it real? Wow. Yeah, I mean, games, they love to include time warp for all those boring things. So you basically run time forward, so you don't have to spend a whole week traveling to the moon. You may want to click on the space bar or maybe on the mouse. Yeah, that's what I've been trying. It's, we're uh, trying to get the next game thing, loaded this, up. This thing is, is uh, it hot. But yeah, I mean, balancing game design is really, you know, fascinating question as to how these things work. But with Kerbal also, it helps that you have lots of explosions. So there's lots of moments of terror and fire, and then the rest of the time it's very slow and maybe trying to figure out your orbital rendezvous and very carefully put it, you know, put it together. I think there's also this interesting balance between you know, realism and playability, right? So you can have something that's that really models the physics very authentically, um, but at the same time, if you make it too authentic, right? In the game I was just playing, if I had bumped my little spacecraft into the satellite, right, there would have been death and destruction all over the place. Well, that happens in Kerbal Space Program. Yeah. If you did that. So. And so there's this trade between, well, do I make it so authentic that it's unplayable, or do I back off a little bit on the authenticity and have, have enough realism but still make it kind of a, a fun to play game? We should try so, Space Simulator instead. I know. Well, you know what we're going to do, in fact, what I'm going to try and do, so Chad, so I'm going to flip on over because this is the joy of being on live television on twitch.tv slash NASA is that sometimes even when you have the game working for an hour plus before we went live, sometimes things tend to go wrong. And that's okay. So I'm going to hop on over to go see and see if I can get that thing up and running because it's actually my personal PC, which is uh, for whatever reason, <laughs> the, the, the cable isn't working. I'm not sure if the if it's too hot or whatever. But I'm going to like turn it over to, to my friend Chad over here to look at this uh, to look at the chat and so we can just start rapid fire through some questions okay so why don't you just go through here and I'm gonna hop on over to see if I can help Scott over there all right we're just gonna go right down from the top rapid fire all right can you explain Lagrange orbits this is from snackless Kerbal <laughs> who's I guess he's hungry up in space um, Sure. So Lagrange points are those uh, interesting spots in our in our uh, solar system where the the gravitational attraction of different bodies uh, cancel each other out. Right. So we have uh, Lagrange points between the Earth and the Moon, between Earth and the Sun, uh, where if you you know put a put a spacecraft uh, at that point, it's um, sort of right in this nice little point of balance between them. And so you can't, they don't just sit there uh, of their own accord. They typically have to be in sort of a, a little bit of a drift around that point to be stable. Um, but it lets, put, lets us put some scientific spacecraft out there, um, and they don't have to use a lot of fuel to stay there, and they're not in, a, in an orbit around the Earth. Uh, they're, they're nice and far away. They can do their science. Mary Beth, you got anything you want to add, or Scott? Um, I, I'm, I was thinking about like what are the cool missions or um, spacecraft that we have at Lagrange points right now. Like I know um, mm -hmm. James Webb. Where is that one going? That's yeah, be James the, Webb the is new, going out. Uh, and I can't remember which one exactly, but it's a common place to 
go park, park big yeah. uh, big experiments, things that need to be out there for a long time. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then you've also got Lucy, which Lucy's is planning to actually mm -hmm. visit the Jovian Lagrange points, where yep. you've got these asteroids, these very old asteroids that have been trapped there since the formation of the solar system. So headed out there to get a close look at these things. Um, of course, one of the one of the challenges, uh, for example, with the James Webb Space Telescope is, you know, it's a far distance out there. So once we send something there, we can't just at this point send astronauts out to go fix it if there's a problem. It really has to be pretty self-sufficient. Okay, uh, next one on the list uh, from Taz Taz Ace: Can people live on the moon? For how long is the real answer? <laughs> I, I think uh, if you magically dropped somebody, teleported them onto the moon, they could live there for, you know, a few Seconds. moments. Uh, it would be longer if they had a spacesuit. Uh, longer yet if they had some protection from the radiation environment and the heat and the cold, so some sort of a habitat. So as long as we provide them with uh, the necessary habitat, then sure, um, eventually we have to feed them. Um, so they yeah. don't, you know, Snackless Kerbal may be hungry because we already gave the food to the people snackless on the moon. Snackless Kerbal's living on the moon. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, snacks um, are the fundamental unit of life support in the Kerbal universe. They don't run out of air, they run out of snacks. Run out of snacks. Uh, okay, it looks like these guys have it running. We'll, we'll come uh, back to the questions. Not, not yet? Yeah, this is rebooting. No? So okay. we are not quite there. What we're actually going to end up doing is, uh, like, hey, hey, Scott, how you doing? Hey. <laughs> so what we're going to end up doing is it, it, it is booting up right now, so we're going to go do some more rapid fire <laughs> before we oh, go yeah. ahead and jump on in. So I'm going to hop I, over there. I was thinking, yeah, okay, well. Or, yeah, no. do you want to? I'm just wondering if we unplug this, whether it will break it or not. Well, I think the thing is that we won't be able to get Steam up and running to get oh, the game yes. going. Okay. So let's just jump Let's on just over. keep on this. Let's All keep right. answering questions. Uh, let's see. What's uh -oh. it doing here? Oh, uh, it decided to do a Windows update. <laughs> Did it really? It's a Windows update. That's what happened. It's so funny. Yeah. This okay. is like a welcome to live television, folks. Here's a good one for Mary Beth. Uh, Shade of Dead <laughs> says, what about rain on Venus? On Venus? Oh, yeah. I don't. I think it's too hot. What would be raining? Rain in the upper atmosphere, apparently, oh, but really? it evaporates before it hits the surface. Okay. That's what I've I've seen some evidence of that, and I was watching an NIAC uh, stream, and they were talking about a balloon that would uh, look at this, and also considered looking at dust that would be blown up from the surface because of the very dense atmosphere. So, I, I think also at this point, we I don't think we know. We have there's hypotheses. Um, We've talked about uh, sending a new generation of probes to Venus at some point. Uh, it's been a long time since we sent any. Uh, maybe that'd be a great question to try and seek answers to. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, so robotics. This is from uh, Kinetic. So robotics will have to advance for us to advance in outer space. Uh, yeah, that's I, a question yes. for you, Chen. Yes, it I will. I think that's why, perfect for you, Chen. Why? Yes. It's more of a statement of yes, indeed. Yes, it will. <laughs> I, I think uh, now it's <laughs> updating Steam. By the way, we're, we're going to send we're going to send humans uh, deeper into space, um, and they, we're going to send robots right alongside them. Um, you know, right now one of the one of the NASA plans is to have a, a future you know um, outpost in the vicinity of the moon, and we're not going to be able to have humans there full time. Humans might be there you know a month out of the year. And so the question is, well, how do we take care of the place the rest of the other 11 months out of the year? Uh, so we, we really need to have some robots to help with that. We talked earlier about having robots help build 
the future things that we're going to have in space, like habitats and space stations. Um, so yeah, I think uh, especially the further out into space we go, um, the more robotics we'll need and the, the more autonomy we'll have to have as well. So we are getting steam booted up. The game is about to go. And ladies and gentlemen, my laptop just died, so we're going to keep doing some questions, but I'm going to do this from my mobile phone. But, um, okay. Time batteries? Because <laughs> it is live television, so it's going to be really fun. But let me jump on into the chat, which I have some stuff right here. Okay, what information can be gathered from the newly landed Japanese probes on Raigu? Well, that... <laughs> they, I mean, they've obviously got cameras on there right now, but these people uh, should appreciate these are just the first of many landers. There's going to be a second lander uh, and a third, and they're also going to shoot it with an anti-tank round to make a oh, hole wow. in it so they can get a sample. Uh, yeah, the Ryugu uh, asteroid, I'm fascinated by this because it's a very, uh, very undifferentiated kind of rock, so it's going to give us some real interesting old look at the kind of pristine material from the solar system, early solar system. I'm a big fan of the, the old school, you know, if you want to know what it's made of and what its characteristics are, you know, poke it with a stick. Yep. <laughs> so well, they're going to hit it hard and then yep. they're going to bring a sample from underneath the surface back home eventually. So I'm also just kind of realizing how, like, a lot of the stuff that we worked on before we started, if the, if the save, if the computer actually saved, saved the I game. Saved. Oh, you did save it. Yes. We so, actually have Kerbal up now. All right. So, spoiler, ladies and gentlemen, that our third and final game for the evening is going to be uh, an encore presentation of Kerbal. Jesse, I'm good. And we think we have like three minutes left <laughs> in the space. clock. So this is what we're going to basically end up doing, because we have, we normally go for about an hour. Um, and so let's throw it up to the chat. You know, we got about like two minutes. I think we're just going to go for another half hour. Oh my goodness. And let's just, just let's keep the keep the party going. And we're going to get Kerbal up and running. And so we have that going on behind us yeah. right now. Yeah, so um, I know you mentioned that NASA doesn't necessarily endorse anything, but they did actually work with the developers. It was actually a Space Act agreement where there they was put a in space, special yeah. content in it. And yeah, they added the parts to make the SLS in Kerbal Space Program. And this was a slightly older version of the SLS with different paintwork. Uh, <laughs> so it doesn't have the sweeps or whatever on the external boosters. But I built up something that's pretty close to a... It looks about right. A block yeah. one, roughly. It's obviously Kerbal scale, but it has a crew of three. We have an Orion spacecraft at the top. This is a hypergolic upper stage. So uh, it inst actually, oh, wait a second. That's not the, I've, I've missed, I'm missing a stage here. Oh no, did we miss a stage? I'm missing a stage. Yeah. You gotta so check your staging. I gotta check my staging. <laughs> As it says on your t-shirt. Sorry for folk audio listeners. <laughs> yes. Uh, because yes, the, the upper stage on the block one is gonna use four uh, RL-10 engines and then it's going to use an AJ-10 hypergolic engine on the final stage. But the main stage is going to be powered by liquid hydrogen and oxygen and four of these RS-25 engines, which were the same engines that powered the space shuttle. And those, those things are absolutely impressively enormous. Uh, I was out there uh, standing next to one of those uh, not long ago, and I, I didn't fully appreciate just how huge they were until mm -hmm. I was standing right next to one of them and just kind of was looking up just at the engine. It's like, oh my goodness, that's just huge. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, the uh, RS-25 engines are still right up there as some of the best engines ever developed. Um, everybody's, you know, in terms of specific impulse, they're uh, way up there. and. Uh, 
Newer engines are switching over to different fuel cycles, but they're not going to get the same efficiency. And so basically what we're trying to do here, this is SLS EM1 is what I always hear referred to. Yes. So why don't you guys explain to me what, what is EM1 for us, for the noobs? What is that? So what does that mean? E what e is that? EM1 is the uh, upcoming um, sort of test mission to take the system out around the moon and back, right? So okay. EM1... Is, is the first one that will take the, the complete system up and out and around the moon and back. Um, won't have any crew on board. Mm -hmm. uh, have a whole bunch of experiments. Uh, the, the SLS is carrying along with it, in addition to the Orion um, on the top, it's actually carrying along a whole bunch of additional um, CubeSats um, okay. around uh, the, the interim cryogenic propulsion stage, the ICPS. It's sort of that big conical ring down there. And on its way out, it'll deploy a whole bunch of those uh, little secondary spacecraft, too. So it's doing a whole bunch of interesting things on that mission. So we see those boosters just fell off? Yep. And well, then we're deployed, on... deployed, I guess, or... Well, yeah, we don't say fell they off. They didn't really just fall we, off. We, we staged the them. <laughs> is it launching from Cape Canaveral? Uh, no, it's launching from Kerbal Space Center. Yeah, because I don't remember that KSC. many mountains. In, uh... It is KSC, though. Okay. There's not many mountains there's in... There's not uh... many mountains in Florida. No. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And there's no boats out there. There's no boats scrub out it, there. Scrub but there is launch. A, yeah, there are some islands that you can land on. So this is... Uh, one of the great things about Kerbal Space Program is it's, it's been around for like eight years now. And I mentioned that people that have played this game are actually now working at NASA. <laughs> like it's changed people's you know views and turned them into actual rocket scientists. But the great thing about Kerbal Space Program is it is essentially simulating these rockets as multiple parts. I'm going to just uh, throttle in my main engine. So I guess we're going to carry our main stage because we're going to go out to the moon. Um, so right now we're just kind of holding attitude. I was so, going to say, like, like related to what you what you were just talking about, I recently had gone through like a, a training over at Wallops, and there was a couple of people from you know from Marshall, and they had seen the previous episode where we were doing Kerbal Space Program, and they they were quite like they they were very adamant that you really need to get some people from the Marshall Space Flight Center <laughs> onto the show to play some Kerbal because there's a <laughs> lot of Kerbal fans over at Marshall. Those guys those guys know way more about rockets <laughs> than we do. Uh, we are not. Rocket folks here. No, not right? at all. Uh, if we need to know about rockets, we go ask them. That is Those awesome. guys are the experts. Well, yeah, I mean, so Kerbal uses a slightly smaller version of reality. Everything is scaled down by a factor mm -hmm. of 10. And that makes it kind of easier for the players because they have to spend less time trying to chase down uh, targets for docking and everything. Space is big. And if you make it smaller, it makes things easier. But, uh, you know, physics-wise, the game engine models, the thrust from the rockets, the aerodynamics, the thermal uh, transfer, power flow, uh, you know, you get it all in there. And, and it, kind of the natural behavior of aircraft and rockets all just comes out of modeling it like this. Uh, you can even have your rockets disintegrate at max Q because you overstress the airframe. It has many, it, the great thing is you play this game and there'll be a failure and your rocket explodes. And you can typically think back to some point in the past mm -hmm. where a real rocket did exactly the same thing for the same reason. <laughs> so I'm just gonna, I'm just putting ourselves into orbit. I think I'm gonna try going out to the moon right now or we could, you know, go somewhere else. We have a pretty big rocket here. I think I gave it way more fuel than we needed. We actually carried the entire first stage into orbit. You brought the first stage. <laughs> yeah, and we still have fuel in it, so we might as well use that. Let's go somewhere. 
we're going to head out to the moon here. So to per travel to the moon, we have to perform what's called a trans transmuner injection in this case. <laughs> okay. And uh, what exactly does that mean? Is it a TMI. Yes, yeah. TMI. <laughs> So what you can actually do is use the navigation computer. You click on the orbit to create what's called a maneuver node. And then you say, at this maneuver, I want to add some thrust. And you can see that it's showing you after yeah. this maneuver that my orbit will go up. So we want this orbit to go up towards the moon. And I've carefully placed this uh, node so that it should put me near the moon, you see? And it's actually telling me. Because it's going to actually be moving while yeah. you're trying to get it. So you're trying to anticipate it. Yes, space. I've, I, there we go. We're actually going to get an encounter with the moon there and then get kicked off into a slightly different orbit. But I think we can. We'll I think we could, well, well, as we're on our way over to the moon, we'll throw that over to the chat and Kayvon will let me know. Um, do you guys want to keep, do we, we want to go to the moon, land, or circle around and come back? Or do we want to go somewhere else? So go ahead and jump into the chat and let us know what you want to do. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this, uh, do this. Oh, I'm just going to use time acceleration to get here. So warp to next maneuver. Yes. And so I, and I had to ask, so Mary Beth, as, as a scientist, it's like, you know, coming up with experiments and looking at like astrobiology. Um, it's kind of, I don't know, how, how much time do you guys spend thinking about this kind of stuff of just like getting into orbit and... Or is it just like this is the engineer's world or how often do you guys like like work together? I yeah, know. I mean, it's really important to understand, you know, how the engineering is going to impact whatever instrument payload you're developing. And so it's important, for, especially even early on, to start to think about those types of problems so you can you can make sure that whatever experiment you're trying to do, no part of launch mm -hmm. or getting into space will affect that experiment. So. I, I also often think of there's people here at Ames who are creating like, um, you know, like experiments, right? And they're 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 putting them together in this nice little box that they send over and get launched in a rocket. And I'm like, your experimental activity, <laughs> exactly. It's like surviving yeah. like a launch is a pretty traumatic thing for whatever is in that experiment <laughs> and in that box. So. Yeah, the test I've seen you know the test rigs that they use for all this and it's vibration, heat, the electrical interference is you know. Yep, acoustics. Thermal vac, cycling. It's, yeah, it's pretty brutal. One of my good friends works over at Goddard, and um, they have this beautiful, like, I don't even know how to describe it. They're, it's like where all the spacecraft get born and <laughs> tested. <laughs> and, like, the size of the thermal vac chambers is huge. And, and um, my friend gives us, like, this excellent tour. And at the end of the tour, she takes you, like, downstairs into the basement where they have um, uh, seamstresses who uh, actually like sew to get like they cut out and sew together the the like the spacecraft blankets like the things that mm -hmm. the MLI the multi layer insulation so cool yeah. but like it, you know you think that you were at like a fabric store like nope you're like <laughs> using this amazing material that helped like insulate it and she's a thermal engineer so she really cares about that that stage so that stuff's hard to sew I tried it once really yeah you did. it's just basically <laughs> a bunch of layers of super 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 thin kind of like mylar yep. it's slippery it's crinkly you, you try and sew it you can't do it on a sewing machine at least I couldn't. <laughs> so something from the chat, we have Dialar42 is saying, send chat on a spacewalk. <laughs> is this something we can do en route to the yeah, moon? Yeah, we can do, yeah, I mean, they did that with uh, Apollo. On the way back, they had to go on a spacewalk to recover one of the cameras. I'm just putting really? this into a slight, I'm putting this into an orbit that will swing over the North Pole of the moon here. 
So, uh, yeah, en route. Yeah, let's get out for a little spacewalk here. This Is is that Chad? That's oh, Chad. There we go. We have EVA. the picture in picture is right over. There we go. There's Chad. And I guess I'm just going to... Um, there, he's just going to let go. And hey, where'd you go, Chad? Love your dream. You're Chad. doing great. Did I? Do I have a tether? Uh, no, no. You, but you do have a, a <laughs> jetpack. Oh, you look green. Yeah. <laughs> so you can fly around. And oh, look, okay. you're super excited. Uh -oh. As long as I have a jetpack, I'm good. Yeah, you're good. There, look, we can see the rocket with all oh, this. Wow. We still have fuel in that main tank. <laughs> I, I think uh, I haven't really specced this up. I put this together very quickly, but. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with this game, I mean, it I told you how they scaled everything down by a factor of 10. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you can actually mod the game up to make it 100% realistic and try to replicate real spacecraft. So as Chad's doing a spacewalk, I'm going to keep jumping into the chat because there's a whole bunch of questions in here. Um, this I'm, is kind I'm of looking, I'm looking happier now, but you're still, having a good time. It's still kind of green. Kerbal yeah. Chad is super some, happy gotta right get now. Get some dramamine in there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So oh, one of the questions from the chat. This is from Seriously Gaming. asks What are the opinions of gravitational waves? Are you all excited for gravitational astronomy? Oh, that might be a little bit out of. Uh... I'm very excited. I mean, I University of Glasgow, where I, you yeah. know, my alma mater, they um, they did a lot of this work on this, and it's really fascinating to see the stuff that was talked about, you know, when I was at university 20 years ago, finally working, finally showing off, finally getting results. Uh, Chad, Mary, does that fall into your world? Because like, the thing, the funny thing about like at Ames is there's a little bit of everything. So we have astrobiology next to the supercomputing, next to the aeronautics, next to engineering and small sats. So there's a whole mismatch of like disciplines uh, at this center. So but I don't know, do you guys like interact with that as much or? Really? Yeah, not, not, not so, happy hour yeah, at not, the space yeah, bar. That, yeah. yeah, happy hour is about it. Uh, the one thing I was thinking about in terms of uh, gravitational waves, right, is so one of the things we do here at Ames is uh, you know, especially small spacecraft or missions with lots of small spacecraft. And there's the potential to, you know, do some really fascinating science with these littler, littler spacecraft, but it depends on having, you know, really small, compact instruments as well. And we were talking to some colleagues at one of the other government agencies about um, really, really tiny, highly, highly sensitive magnetometers. And, okay. Uh, yeah, and I had the thought, well, I wonder if you could put those in a small spacecraft and use that to do uh, some research in the uh, gravitational wave area. And I don't know the answer. I'm not the, not the scientist to answer <laughs> the question. But, it, but I know it, a guy. But I know a guy. And it, it really intrigued me as to the possibilities. We're, we're embarking into this whole new, this new age, a new, new uh, era of being able to kind of go down this new path of research. Um, and we don't yet know uh, how to do some of it. So it's exciting. And so it also that came up in the chat, one of the comments has been, let's go to the moon or Mars. <laughs> and since the name of the game has been Moon to Mars, but like uh, speaking of which, the moon, we have this Laddie model sitting right in front. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what the Laddie model is, what Laddie did, and even Mary Beth. It's like, there's, like the moon is still ripe for science. There's a lot of stuff that we, I mean, you think what it was in the 70s was the last time we actually had footprints on the moon. But since then, we learned a whole lot more about like how much water ice is there. It's just quite crazy. So I don't know, like, the, the delicate model that I tried to move earlier. <laughs> it's not that delicate. It's pretty robust. I you went just, to grab you it. You picked it up, and it and I was like, right? but it's supposed to come apart, Matt. So okay. I, I figured we're talking about spacecraft. Um, it's always good to have a, a toy to you know, sort of illustrate questions as they come up. And this happens to be a model of our, of our Laddie 
uh, spacecraft that went and orbited the moon lots and lots and lots of times a few years ago, um, doing doing amazing science, and now is in many, many tiny little pieces on the surface because at the end of its mission, yeah. we just crashed it into the surface, um, carefully avoiding any historical artifacts. Uh, <laughs> But, right, so Laddie is a good example of what you can do with a comparatively low-cost uh, spacecraft, right? This is something not to, not to actual size, but it is to scale. This was about the size of a, you know, of a refrigerator, right, a good-sized refrigerator, right? Um, and it was designed as a, as a modular spacecraft, so as different missions came along, we could reconfigure it to the needs of the mission, right? You might not need all these different pieces, mm -hmm. you might just need the, the top piece and one of the bottom pieces, right? With the propulsion, depending on okay. depending on what you were doing. And we, we designed a version of this that was a, a little bit bigger. It had two more of these middle segments that could do a Mars mission, for example, right? And the cool thing is, right, we can now do all this amazing science with smaller spacecraft because mm -hmm. the, our ability to squeeze the science into smaller, more compact, and more efficient instruments has allowed us to do more with smaller spacecraft. So it opens up all these new opportunities for folks like Mary Beth. Yeah. Like, okay, we can actually go do some amazing stuff with, with little tiny spacecraft now. Uh, JPL has the two Marco uh, CubeSats, right? They're the size of a of a briefcase, and they're on their way out uh, to support the latest Mars mission. So there, there's just so much potential, and it's enabled in part by technology, in part by uh, new ways of thinking about science. So I, I see that we're from behind us. We are at the moon right now. Yeah, but I'm trying to. We have a, a lunar gateway in orbit around the moon. I figured let's go and visit it. Might as well. So we're going slightly further than what EM1. As because somebody's got a space station there already. <laughs> oh, nice. So I'm just trying to match orbital planes with it so we can perform this rendezvous. And uh, yeah, actually, that's pushed me out of the sphere of influence. We'll figure this out. And while, and while you're figuring that out, Mary Beth, why don't you talk a little bit about, I mean, what about the moon that you see like interesting or, you know, as a planetary scientist? You know? Yeah, there's so many interesting things about the moon that we're still learning. Um, it's I think the most interesting thing about the moon is that it came from Earth, right? Like it was formed by um, very early on in Earth's history by an object that was believed to be about the size of Mars impacting the proto-Earth and then turning into this, mm -hmm. this object, right? And, um, you know, I, I think about this oftentimes from an astrobiological perspective. It's like, what, what, is it, what is so special about Earth to allow life to develop and evolve? And I think the moon is a big part of that story because if you, if you look at the far side of the moon, mm -hmm. it's littered with, with craters. And so what does that mean? It means that things that would have, if there was no moon, would have impacted Earth and instead hit the moon and maybe protected, you know, early life on Earth um, and allowed it to, to continue to evolve. Um, but I think uh, one of the coolest discoveries um, in the last 10 years was um, a mission that came, was out of Ames called L-Cross. And what happened with L-Cross is they took the upper stage of a rocket and they actually impacted um, the so the uh, one of the what are the so-called permanently shadowed craters um, on the moon, and within those craters, they actually found evidence for for water. And so, why do we care about that? Especially if we start thinking about um, you know going and living on the moon, mm -hmm. that's a resource that could be potentially used in situ. So, I thought that was a pretty cool 
design yeah. for a mission. They, you know, they didn't land anything. They just impacted, kicked up a bunch of dust, and then analyzed and flew through the dust. I think that's a really yeah. cool, cool design. I mean, one of the big questions now uh, for for our return to the moon is, you know, what's the distribution of mm -hmm. the various uh, materials present on the surface of the moon, right? So, okay, we know yeah. there's water. Yeah. Now we know that there's actually quite a bit of ice. Mm -hmm. um, not buried necessarily, but near or on the surface, especially in some of these shadowed craters. Okay, well, you know, where is it? How much is there? Uh, how do we get it? What do we do with it? They're all really important questions that need to be answered if we want to have any sort of a um, presence there. Like a long-term presence. Long-term presence know, like on in, the During the Apollo era, we went and we were tourists, we were visitors, but we didn't stay for very long. We've learned so much since since those yeah. initial flags and footprints. Well, even with just one thing that I think of is like. A lot of precious earth metals, which really aren't earth metals. They came in asteroids and they're like formed in the solar system and impacted and hit earth. But I, I mean, there's a lot of craters on the moon. There could be mm -hmm. a chance that there's precious earth metals or moon or yes, asteroids. It would never I mean, be profitable to get there. Yeah. The thing about metals and asteroids is that on the earth, you have a metals that love to dissolve in iron and then they yeah. just sink to the core. So all our gold and platinum, it's all in the core. Uh, whereas on asteroids, well, they're, we've broken those planets planet, apart, or? and we can actually get bits of the cores of protoplanets. That's why asteroid mining has these bits of metal, these huge amounts of metal in them. So I, I see that we're getting a little bit closer on, on Kerbal, but there was a question that came in for Scott that was like, could you please ask Scott about the KSP Kraken? The Kraken. Ah, I'm, yes, the Kraken is a fantastic uh, <laughs> result of game crowing. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the Kraken is what happens when physics goes wrong. <laughs> so okay. um, it's, it's kind of fascinating. Sometimes there's a physics engine in the game that's modeling how it works, how the, the physics and everything works. And sometimes it has mathematical errors which can cause the spacecraft to disintegrate. So in the old days, when you got very, very fast and very, very close to the sun, the spacecraft would just spin out of control and disintegrate. And we called that the Kraken. And, you know, the developers have slowly <laughs> fixed these things bit by bit, but every now and then you will just find the most bizarre bug where your spacecraft just spontaneously explodes just or, uh, you know, you hit some weird singularity in the mathematics and everything disintegrates. Uh, and, and then people have learned to harness the Kraken for good, and they've learned to build Kraken drives, reactionless thrusters that don't need fuel. <laughs> so, yeah, the Kraken is a great uh, friend and enemy in the game, and is actually out on one of the moons. There's a Kraken corpse available that you can find if you're, uh, you know, sufficiently interested. So there, there's another thing from the chat, another question. This is from Fox underscore Tango, which, like, welcome back. I remember Fox Tango has been there quite a bit. So um, in previous episodes, but have any samples? Uh, Piezoelectric stone been collected from the moon, Mars, or other astral body? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm probably butchering the name. People are looking at me and shaking their heads. Uh, well, I've, I've tried, the, the materials that came back from, from the, the moon, moon yeah. um, that have been analyzed, I don't recall them having any piezoelectric or semiconductor properties, but I'm not a material scientist, so I could what be wrong. What is piezoelectric? The word that I butchered, what does that mean? So if you have a, a material that you impose stress on, right, it, it uh, um, produces uh, voltage. Okay. So right? And vice versa, you can apply voltage and it'll displace the material. So like the... Some of just like metals well, or... For example, like, some of the materials in your microphone might, mm -hmm. it might, might be a piezoelectric microphone. Certainly the 
probably the one in your phone is. Yeah. Right. So it's converting the pressure from the um, sound waves in your voice into an electrical signal. Oh, right? interesting. So okay. materials, materials that do that, right? A family of those materials is it's a piezoelectric effect. The more you know. So the short, <laughs> the short version, the short answer to, to their question right, yes, is, is no. We, well, we, <laughs> well don't we don't know. We don't know. We don't recall uh, any of that coming in, but that doesn't mean it hasn't. Yeah. But they're very easy to make. I mean, yeah. they're they're pretty much very simple industrial. I mean, they're, they're types of quartz yeah, with it's doping. Yeah, it's everywhere. So. So all right, are we are we at the moon? Are we landing on no, the moon? No, we're we just orbiting. Oh, apparently we now want to use sticky keys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say uh, I was trying to rendezvous, but it's actually very hard because the you have to minimize big picture mode. <laughs> minimize big picture. Yeah. Okay. Right. And then and we then get there's this. my desktop. It's a good thing and I wasn't trying go. to land at that time. If uh, you can't tell, ladies and gentlemen, this is not Scott's normal PC. Yeah. He is fiddling around with. I'm actually having some interesting problems here because uh, I have I can't see the orbit as easily as I normally would. So I think, yeah, I'm just trying to make figure out how to make this rendezvous here. But you, you go on, go talk. <laughs> so, well, there is somebody. There's a uh, Pazin Canut 42 was saying, "Do a suicide burn landing on the moon, please." <laughs> okay, well, never right. Let's just try landing this. Everybody wants to see me try landing, right? Why not? So uh, let me it's, jump to another another uh, question from Alpha King Gore. How big how big a problem is space debris? Let me just throw that up to everybody for what you think. Well, it's a at the moment it's a it's a problem, but it's not a gigantic problem. Um, right now, right it, now, it's in the news more frequently these days because it has the potential to become a huge problem. Right, so right now there, there's plenty of space debris up there. There's spent rocket bodies. There's dead satellites. There's little bits of nuts and bolts and junk that's blown up over the years. There's uh, a whole big cloud of debris from um, satellites that have collided. Uh, the good news is, right, most of it is not where we have people. <laughs> right, for example, on the space station, and most of it is not where it's going to run into other satellites at the moment. Right? We do occasionally have to move satellites to get out of the way of space debris um, as it's floating around. However, right, uh, with all the spacecraft that are being launched, and there's more and more spacecraft being launched all the time, um, all it would take is a couple of bad days okay. for there suddenly to be a whole lot of space debris in a bad place. Right, so the potential for there to be a really big space debris problem is very high. So let me jump into one more. Are we ready to land? Are we getting there? Well, we're gonna. F I got a fun Mars one, and I know Mary Beth. Mars is her favorite subject. So, I'm so, a Martian. Yes, she's very much the Martian. If folks didn't know, the the you you co-authored the paper for when they discovered liquid water on Mars. <laughs> you know, whatever, just kind of. Dust it off. I like to. Matt likes to embarrass. I me. always like to oh, call out to Mary Beth, and like she's like, yeah, whatever, you know. But okay, here's a question it's from Nuranon, who's asking what to do about perchloride chloride on Mars when cruise perchloride uh, <laughs> when cruise visit. When cruise visit, yeah. So perchlorate is a salt, and it's found on Earth. It actually comprises rocket fuel too. 
and it accumulates in extremely dry places. So it's a, it's a problem in a lot of desert environments, including in Southern California, for example. Um, and it's toxic to humans. Um, so if you consume perchlorate, because it's so soluble, mm -hmm. meaning it like goes into water very easily, and you drink that water, it can um, cause thyroid issues. And actually, I think it used to be used as a, a treatment for overactive thyroids, like oh, back really? in the day. Okay. Anyway, so there's a ton of perchlorate on Mars, and that um, ties into the whole water on Mars story, because what we detected was um, actually hydrated perchlorates, so water bands that um, or water within the mineral structure of perchlorates. So anyway, um, yeah, if we uh, if we end up using any resources there on Mars someday, um, perchlorate remediation might be an issue, um, depending on you know how how and what we use that type of water for. So Mark Watney's going to have a hard time growing his potatoes. Well, he his, he might have a hard time having a thyroid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hypothyroidism. Yeah. He's going to have a hard so, time. So you know there there are chemical solutions to this. Um, and I'm sure we, we could figure out a way to, um, to remove it if we needed to. But it also gets in the way, um, just from a science perspective, when we're doing analyses of the soils, it can actually react with some of the, the organic, the carbon-bearing compounds in the soil and turn into a big chemistry reaction. So it's been problematic for, um, for previous Mars missions looking for organic compounds. So. So as we're looking on the screen right now, what do you have going for us, Scott? Uh, I, think, I think we decided to uh, break with the actual mission plan, yes, and we're just okay. going to land. We're going to land this using its... Uh, we just left all that extra fuel out there. We figured, you know what, let's just jump. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, actually, we finally depleted that big tank. So oh, I think really? I'm going to aim between these uh, craters here. So well, does this little version of the Orion, does this have uh, some landing gear? No, or? no, we're just going to land on the engine yeah, bells. Okay. Yeah, Just checking. Know, just yeah, <laughs> we do have solar panels. We should probably open those up just so we can get some electrical power. Nice. Does it just give you more thrust? Or, no, or just, it's, it's, we don't want to run out of electrical power when we're trying to land, do we? I, I think that would be bad. Yeah, so we're just going to put it down between these craters and hopefully we won't fall over. Uh, yeah, this is a standard Kerbal maneuver landing on the engine bells. Do not do it in a real rocket because You're engine bells tend yeah, You will crush yeah. them. You will crush them. Yeah, <laughs> even on one of the Apollo missions, they came down too close to the surface and uh, the engine bell got sort of crushed just by the force of the rocket exhaust. There's a famous oh, wow. photo of it being uh, with a fold in it. And that wasn't because it hit the surface. It's just because the rocket exhaust bounced off and came back like a sound wave. Now, I'd, I'd like to point out that those solar arrays are a little uh, dinky. They are, but um, <laughs> we're, we're very efficient like, in the curve universe. Do you even solar array? <laughs> I, now, one thing I'm not sure of here is I can't see. I don't have an altitude meter. Oh, there oh, we go. There, there you go. So visual the visual I, approach. Yes, visual, visual approach and Kerbal Oh, look is, at that. Here we go. Oh. oh, good job. There we go. Okay, yes, we Sick. did it. And well we can done. all EVA. I'll just uh, get you off there. Look, we'll... Chad, you're going to the moon Oh, now. Chad, yeah. look at that. Chad, yep. I always Chad. wanted to go to the moon. Yep, you're on the moon. Uh, we're just going to let Where's you. Where's the cheese? <laughs> Though, as we learned from the first episode that we did, what, four weeks ago with Administrator Jim Bryan, saying we learned that the moon was made of spare, rib, spare ribs. Spare ribs. Barbecue spare ribs, evidently. Um, I would totally trust commercial that. crew, you know, for commercial <laughs> use, I'm sure. The moon has many great things for it, but I don't think cheese don't or think spare ribs. No. Cheese or spare ribs. A veritable cornucopia. Although I, I do like to point out it's, it's harder to prove that the moon isn't made of cheese 
than it is to prove or uh, that the Earth isn't flat. <laughs> nice. So why is there no moon cheese society? No moon cheese society, exactly. Perhaps there is. And, and they could be raiding every single Twitch stream, every single NASA stream or social media platform with <laughs> the the moon cheese or like truthers. We we should plant a flag here. <laughs> there, I claim this moon in the name of. Uh, we got to come up with a message for all oh, humanity. Wait, it's me. I'm on the moon too. Yes, yes, I think that's yours. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. Mary Beth, what are you going to tell the world? <laughs> you have landed on the moon. What are you looking for? What's oh. the first thing you do? You've landed on the moon. Okay. Where are you going? I got to quote Pete Conrad okay. and say that may have been one small step for Neil, uh. but that was one long one for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nice. So we're, we're counting down to about like two minutes until we wrap up. So I'm wondering if we could probably do another rapid fire one. Um, we have some. Okay. If bigger rockets increase efficiency for launching experiments, why don't we launch even bigger rockets? This is asked by Frank, a fifth grader in Re from Resonator Games. Because building bigger rocket engines is actually harder than you'd imagine. That's why the F1 yeah. engines are probably the biggest rocket engines that have ever been built due to combustion instability and things like that. Yeah, I, I would. I don't know that um, building bigger necessarily buys you more efficiency, right? Uh, in the case of SLS, it's bigger because we've got some pretty big, massive stuff that we want to send fairly far out beyond Earth orbit. Um, at the same time, NASA's building the big SLS. We have a, a bunch of commercial companies that exactly. are building really small launch vehicles to send really small things into Earth orbit. And so we're looking forward to the day when we're just sending little, little tiny things up on little tiny rockets all the time. Mm -hmm. But those rockets aren't going to be sending things out to the moon. Uh, so there's a, there's a happy mix of the great big rockets to send big things really far out and little tiny rockets sending little tiny things into the vicinity of the Earth. So that, folks, is about all the time that we have. As you can look from behind us, um, Chad and Mary Beth are going to continue their EVA out on the moon. Um, so it, just as a reminder, this has been NASA in Silicon Valley Live. This is a conversational show uh, where we talk to, out of the Ames Research Center, where we talk to the scientists, researchers, engineers, and overall cool people here at NASA. Um, if you like that, then we are live on Twitch, on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope. To join us live, you have to jump into twitch.tv slash NASA. But if you can't catch us live, that's totally cool. On Twitch and YouTube, you can catch us on demand immediately after this broadcast is over. And it'll also be up on NASA TV as a rebroadcast, I think about next week, along with an audio version of the podcast. But I want to give a great thanks to all of our guests, to Scott, Mary Beth, and Chad. Uh, and a huge thank you to everybody in the chat. Thank you so much for joining us. And don't forget to join us back here in two weeks when we talk about NASA's 60th anniversary, but thanks for joining us.